Hello and welcome to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I am your host, Adam Conover, and this podcast is based on the TV show of the very same name, of which you can find clips and full episodes at truetv.com slash Everything and the Watch True TV app. But on this show, the one you're listening to right now, I talk to researchers, academics, journalists, experts, fascinating people from around the world of human knowledge about the work they do and why it is so gosh darn mind-blowing, fascinating, and important. Today's guest is Heather Jarvis, who previously appeared on our TV episode, Adam Ruins College, to talk to us about the absolute cluster fudge that is student loans. So many of us have to deal with this horrible system. You listening right now might have one of those letters in your mailbox from the student loan company that you are just stressed about even looking at the return address. Uh, of all the topics we have covered on our show, it is one of the most screwed up systems. Well, Heather is here to tell us about how we got into this situation and give us some practical tips on navigating the world of student loans. And we're going to come up with some big picture ideas about how we might revise this system. Heather's an attorney and a student loan expert. She's worked on student debt relief policy for the House Education Committee and others in Congress, and she's dedicated her entire professional life to this issue. I am so happy that Heather could join us today from Wilmington, North Carolina. Let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to uh, talk to us about this. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's an important issue. So can you tell me a little bit, you know, about the work that you do? Because you don't just study the topic of student debt. You really uh, work with it and work with people. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm an attorney, and so I approach it from that perspective, and I try to interpret the the complex web of laws that control student loan policy. And, and my goal really is to advocate for student loan borrowers so that people who already owe money can figure out how to manage that debt. Um, but then, of course, I'm also very interested in improving the cost of education and the circumstances that lead so many of us to borrow uh, more than we can comfortably repay. So, but I don't I don't counsel individuals with student loans very often unless I get hired by their employer or their university or their professional association. Because I really want to shift the costs of the work I do to the institutions that have budgets and that have, I feel, some responsibility for the struggles that student loan borrowers face. So it's not it's not my my interest to you know sell a service to people with student loans, although. I think that you know it would be of value. I'm I'm not saying that's something ridiculous, but that's not uh, what I do. I try to um, help people help themselves by you know teaching uh, borrowers about how to manage their student loans. But then also I try to push the institutions to do better and provide you know more high quality support systems for us. And how did you get involved in this kind of work? You know, I, I, I began it, my interest in student loans when I uh, first en- enrolled in college uh, many moons ago. I was majoring in performing arts, actually. And my my sister and I are the first generation in our uh, family to attend college. So there was no money to pay for college. And there was also really no knowledge about what borrowing means. So I was pleased to find out that there was something called financial aid. Um, but as I worked my way up and through education, um, ultimately graduating from a fancy law school, Duke University School of Law, I owed $125,000 for my education. And when I graduated, yeah, that was a little precocious. I mean, it was it was because, you know, I was a poor kid that I needed to borrow that much. And, and I didn't spend, you know, profligately at all. Like, I was not living high on the hog. I just, I spent that on tuition. Um, and It had always been my intention to um, assist poor people and and represent criminal defendants when I graduated, which is what I did. But I learned (laughs) later that you you actually can't make any money helping the poor. I don't know. Uh, uh, know, uh, That's not known as a very uh, 
remunerative occupation. Exactly, exactly. So,、um, and it turns out that that a lot of people go to law school because they have this idea that you can make money as a lawyer. So, and I and、yeah. some lawyers do make money,、um, but many do not. And the kind of、mm-hmm. law that I always wanted to practice is is not well paid. So I was very lucky that Duke had a loan repayment assistance program that enabled me in those early years after graduation to to pay my my loans because my my monthly payments were fifteen hundred dollars a month. Wow! And you know I was making. Uh, my first job twenty five thousand dollars a year, which, and I had like I'm really not that smart, Adam. You know, like I had turned down a job at a law firm in a big city for a hundred thousand dollars. You know, I mean, I had that、right. job offer in hand, and I was like, well, you know, money's not what's important to me. I want to enjoy my <laughs> job and save the world. You know, and it's a lot easier to do that when you're very young and you don't have a lot of dependents. Nowadays, I I don't feel. Quite the same way I did then,、um, but I I eschewed the money in order to pursue my dream and、um, really did do very rewarding employment, but never made any good money. So, but, it, but what what a a terrible state of affairs where you would even describe that as being oh you were naive you weren't very smart because you decided to help people instead of chasing the money. I mean, not everyone would agree with that decision, but I think we would like to live in a society where that's not a foolish decision to make, where you wouldn't have described yourself as. As not smart for turning down the money. Absolutely. I mean, we we want to live in a world where people who are inclined to help others, even if it means they won't get independently rich, that they are able to do so. I mean, we need people with educations th- that are willing to serve in government and nonprofit positions. And you know, w- after I worked as a lawyer for a number of years, I、um, became involved directly in this、uh, student loan stuff by、um, working. With a nonprofit whose aim was to help people who wanted to do public service work be able to afford to do so in spite of、uh, education debt, and so that was a great opportunity in the nonprofit to work on changes to legislation and, and policy ideas for you know how we could make、uh, higher education more affordable. And that was, you know, of tremendous interest to me because I had learned from my own experience that the the financial aid and the and the cost of higher education is one of the more difficult aspects of achieving、um, higher degrees. You know, I mean, it it ought to be that what's most difficult is the you know reading and writing and you know analysis、uh, that is required to get those degrees.、Um, but instead, I think many people would agree with me that the the financial aid process is one of the more obtuse and、um, uh, confusing aspects of going to college. Right.、Uh, I, I've just never thought about that as as an incentive problem that. Uh, people who want to go and you know、uh, become a teacher or become a go into nonprofit work or anything like that are actually disincentivized from doing so because they're like, holy crap, I got all these bills. I need to、uh, go use my advanced degree、uh, for something that pays better. Exactly. Yeah, but it really does. It really does happen, particularly with、um, educations that are themselves especially expensive. So you know, undergraduate degree is quite is quite expensive. But even more expensive is when you go for a graduate or professional education after that. And we just don't have enough affordable options for people. So you know, it would be great if there was a lot more choice, so that we could. Access the right kind of education for each individual, both, you know, in the subject matter that we're studying,、um, but also in terms of of price tag,、uh, and that is continuing to be less and less available. Um, right. You know, years ago, state-supported educations like public universities ha- were much less expensive than private universities, and they still tend to be somewhat less expensive. But the the gap has narrowed considerably because the the price of public education has risen、um, at a, a really kind of alarming pace. Yeah, they're not、uh, they're not the deals that they once were. It's not the、uh 
the sort of like working middle class. Uh, hey, anyone, anyone from uh, uh, this state can get a good education uh, without paying too much. The the prices have really become closer and closer to approaching private school prices. In my understanding, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. And and the reasons for that are many, but it you know started with some reductions in the state investment in at in higher education which was exacerbated when the recession hit um that just made all of that much worse because states had such lower tax revenue that they were looking for any way they could to cut expenses in any place they could and so uh prices have gone up and more and more of the cost has been shifted to students and families so rather than receiving you know grant and scholarship aid based on uh, a student's need we see more and more of the access to education is in the form of loans that must be repaid with interest and what really you know grinds my gears about that i have to say is there's this bizarre disparity in our education system because for primary education we say okay this you know uh, you know what whatever uh, in the, in America's past we said hey this level of education is absolutely necessary to survive in society and we're going to be a better society if everyone has this level of education if they have this baseline so we're just going to make that basically free you know it'll be paid for with property taxes so if you live in the area you're you're paying for it you know indirectly but uh, you know the students themselves don't have to pay. Everyone gets to go. But now we live in a society where you need an additional four years of school at least because you know technology has improved. Uh, you know the the complexity of the jobs available has increased. Um, so you require more education. But now when you try to get that education, instead of saying hey you can go to the you can go to the public school for basically free, um, now we. Uh, require students to uh, take out these incredibly expensive loans, and the loans are structured now so they're some of the worst kind of debt that you can have. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. That's exactly right. I, I mean, a college education has become the ticket to job security and financial security for oneself and one's family. Um, if you aren't born into wealth and you don't have money to begin with, the the really the the key to having work that will allow you to um, live a decent lifestyle is to is to have a job that requires higher education of some sort and it's not even just for individuals and families it's for us more largely as a society that we in order to be strong as a country we have to have an educated workforce or we won't right. be able to you know compete um and so yeah a college degree is more important than ever and more expensive than ever and a larger share of that expense is borne by the students and families and then as as you just said student loans are a, a very unique and and difficult sort of debt to have. Um, because unlike other kinds of consumer debt, like, for example, credit cards, student loans cannot be discharged in bankruptcy except under extraordinary circumstances. And <clears throat> the government, who issues the majority of student loans, uh, has really extraordinary collection authority. And they do not rest until the loan is fully repaid with sometimes a whole lot of interest. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've been very lucky and successful in repaying my student loans in that I've always made my payments on time. And I've been doing that for many, many years and will continue doing that for an additional number of years. Um, but the way that 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 has worked is that I am paying a boatload of interest. I mean, I I will have paid a quarter of a million dollars by the time I'm finished repaying it. And wow. And I am, you know, I truly am grateful for the opportunity to do that because I otherwise I wouldn't be this, you know, fancy lawyer who can go out and and help people the way I do. And I appreciate that, you know, having grown up 
um, without a whole lot, I, I'm I'm glad to have had this opportunity. Um, but it also means that, you know, I'm not in a position to save as I should and want to for my own children's education or to, you know, assist my parents with expenses. And, you know, of course, like so many families, it's difficult for people to save everything they need for those things. And student loans and the student loan burden are, are going to cause more and more adults to um, ha- struggle to keep up with the other kinds of savings that we want them to have um, in order to protect themselves. So for right. uh, I have, uh, you know, one of the one of the writers on our staff is, uh, you know, one of the reasons we did this segment was, you know, in our writer's room, he was talking about his personal experience and the uh, amount of loans he has. The interest is so high that uh, if the most money that he could possibly pay and still put food on the table doesn't begin to cover the principal. So uh, he can only pay off a portion of the interest every month, which means Mm -hmm. that the principal grows every month, which means that he can never make any progress at all. And he's, you know, done. He's talked to everybody you can possibly talk to. They all say, you know, yeah, you can, you know, try to, I don't know, consolidate or do whatever the hell, you know, kind of loan tricks you want. You're not getting out from under this. And all he can really do is, I think, wait until there's a particular you know number of decades go by where it'll finally be you know okay you've paid it off for fifty years so you know you can you can wipe your hands I, I guess um, but the effect of that is is that he's unable to save for uh, retirement really because any money he saves for retirement should go towards paying off the debt instead um, mm-hmm. and uh, not to mention buying a home or you know people people love uh, uh, entrepreneurs how how can someone go into entrepreneurship when they have a student loan like this uh, and start a new business that might get the economy going. It really is like a a wet blanket on the a heavy wet blanket on the life. It really it really is. And when when you start your financial life with a debt burden, it makes everything else more difficult. Um, And student loans have to be the the highest priority payment for many people because of this collection authority that we've referred to. I mean, the, the federal government can and will take whatever money you get, whether you like it or not. You know, they can garnish wages without a court order, which is um, not the case with private banks. They can seize um, federal benefits, including things like tax refunds, and even a portion of Social Security can be wow. seized by the federal government towards student loans. And you're, you're 65 and the government is, is garnishing your Social Security to pay off your student loans. <laughs> it's it's a disaster, you know, yeah. and as you mentioned, when your writer has this prospect of getting out from under the debt after a long, long period of time passes, and that's an important policy that has not been in place for all that long. So the first time that that became available for federal loans was in 2009. And wow. so it used to be that there was, you know, no end in sight whatsoever. And there um, are some rumblings with the uh, current Congress uh, that are talking about rolling back some of those safety nets and those forgiveness provisions um, that I think is, you know, it's really important that we that we stay aware so that we can um, not allow things to become worse uh, and then and certainly to move toward improving prospects for people um, with education debt. But so, but so explain this to me, because most of the time, the government, my understanding is, sort of, you know, steps in between the borrower and the lender to make sure that nobody's being taken advantage of. You know, they, they uh, will sort of mediate, well, if you declare bankruptcy or if, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll, and they'll sort of, you know, the gov- one of the government's roles is to, like, watch out for predatory lending or any sort of that kind of problem. How did the government get in the position of going after uh, its, you know, its citizens to uh, pay back uh, these enormous loans? Why, why is it that the, the one form alone that you would think the government would have a vested interest in making sure is available at a, you know, low, sane rate? Why are they the, you know, the enforcer that's part of making it so terrible? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm yeah. so baffled by that. 
Well, it has, you know, it's developed over time into this kind of beast. It was it was not necessarily planned with a whole lot of elegance, you know. I mean, the 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 government's the federal government first got involved in student aid and student loans um, right after World War II, trying to make uh, access for veterans to get some college education so that they would have opportunities in the workforce. And it's it was over a, a you know a fairly long period of time that the the loan programs changed and and grew and it it be, it began to dawn on the uh, powers that be that in fact the interest generated from student loans does generate substantial revenue for the government mm-hmm. and that revenue is used for um, other important programs that you know we also probably care about things like Pell Grants, which are, you know, well-targeted aid for needy students and families. Um, but, you know, it's it, it really has become part of the the revenue stream that, that the government relies upon to make the whole budget work within the education department. Wow. And so, you know, it's it's really is um, – it really has gotten kind of crazy and, and they could and should – we, they, the government should relax and change some of the most draconian collection rules that exist. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, but sometimes lawmakers get a little hysterical about like these ideas of – you know, the potential for for cheaters, you know, and we want to have safeguards. We don't want to be, you know, throwing away government money. We, you know, we want to be careful, but we also want to be compassionate and reasonable um, right. in the way we apply these programs. But th- this also seems to be a, look, I always look for uh, opportunities for you know, both parties to agree, right, or both uh, sort of philosophies of government to agree. And this seems to be one where they should, right, because I think uh, liberals would uh, want uh, inc- improved access to education and to reduce the cost of education, whereas conservatives are very concerned with the government not picking the average citizen's pocket and the government not seeing its citizens as a revenue source. Uh, but this is a weird case where the government is, but it's not through a tax, it's through a, it's through a loan, Right, exactly. And I, I think you're right. I think there there's a lot of potential area for agreement and collaboration um, because I think, you know, that everyone recognizes that the country is strongest when we are competitive as a nation in terms of our work product. Um, and, and that does require um, an educated workforce. So you have to recognize that um, families cannot bear the full cost of education um, themselves. Uh, And I think, you know, that's where you get into some stronger debates, because I think one of the areas of agreement in Washington is that it would be nice to lower the cost of education or to uh, to somehow have schools have some more stake in um, moderating the tuition increases that have been so extraordinary. Um, but that's a trickier problem that people have a hard time figuring out how to solve because there are so many factors that make education expensive. And, you know, a few of them are things like, you know, the energy costs of, of a college are higher than they used to be. Right. The personnel costs are high, not just because of faculty salaries, but, but primarily dri- driven by the cost of health care for employees, which is, you know, drag on our economy in, you know, many ways. Um, and so it's, you know, it's the the economy is a complicated system of moving parts. Um, and I think that's where some of these policy discussions kind of break down. Well, I'm here talking to Heather Jarvis. We will be back in just a moment. So please stick around. Hey, Helen Hong. Yes, J. Keith Van Stratton. What's the difference between a layover and a stopover? I have no idea. What's the difference between optimal and optimum? I have no idea. What's the difference between an actual conversation and a promo for our new show on Maximum Fun, Go Fact Yourself? Nobody has any idea. 
Go Fact Yourself, the game show with celebrity contestants, super smart experts, and answers to questions you've never even asked. Listen twice a month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And be in the audience for our tapings of Go Fact Yourself in downtown L.A. It's free. Go to GoFactYourPod.com for more info. We're having a very realistic conversation. Yes, we are. Welcome back to Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. I'm here talking to student loan expert Heather Jarvis. Well, so what are the biggest changes that, you know, we need to make to how we finance student loans systemically? Well, I think, you know, one of the big things we need to focus on is we need to increase the availability of need-based aid. Um, And that's because universities have funds and uh, scholarships and endowments and discounts that um, they get to choose how to distribute. And and most include at least some consideration of need for at least some of that distribution of money. Um, but they also um, more and more consider this idea, this nebulous idea of merit. Um, mm-hmm. And and merit is, is often um, – very different than need and doesn't and doesn't correlate with it because uh, students who come from more advantaged financial backgrounds tend to perform better on standardized tests and you know they tend to have more access to you know preparation schools and things that make them look like more successful students on paper um, but we we need to create access for everyone who can benefit from a college education, um, and particularly for those who uh, have not been able to demonstrate that as as clearly based on their financial background. So, right. And, and just, uh, you know, it seems like we sort of conflate the ideas of, you know, college admission where someone proves that they can, you know, live up to the academic standards of a school. Uh, that also means they deserve you know, a free education, uh, we sort of conflate those two ideas together when in reality, you know, why just because someone, you know, is getting B minuses or C pluses in high school, why would that mean that they wouldn't benefit from an education? I mean, societally, we should have at least as much of an investment in seeing that person uh, increase their skill level because that's, you know, if if a person is starting from a disadvantaged place, uh, you know, it still benefits everyone if they're a little bit smarter and get a little bit better of a job, right? Yes, absolutely. And and the more that we can provide opportunities for all of us to become self-reliant, uh, then the less that we all have to help prop one another up through throughout life, you know. So it is certainly better if we can, if people can self-identify and be identified as, you know, those who who ought to, you know, pursue a particular trade or a particular um, certificate program or associate's degree or whatever. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to say that everyone should have a, you know, liberal arts education um, or that that's, you know, all that we need. But we we need all all different sorts of um, skills and abilities uh, in our right. workforce. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that's really important. And then, uh, okay, so that's a good start. Uh, Need-based aid. Uh, uh, What else? I mean, how would you like to see the loan system reformed? Or would you like to see the loans done away with? I mean, it certainly doesn't seem like it's, it's the most logical way to pay for school. Yeah, I mean, I think we can move toward, you know, certainly de-emphasizing the need for so much borrowing. Um, I also think, though, realistically, um, we need to start where we are um, with the education being as expensive uh, as it is and, and, you know, work to lower those costs, work to lower reliance on loans. But also there are things we can do to student loans to make them less problematic. So, you know, the whole system of federal student loans and their repayment could be improved by simplifying it. So there are now um, multiple different student loan programs that have different fees, different interest rates, different repayment terms, different forgiveness provisions, and different limits on borrowing. And it's super confusing. I mean, I, I spend all my time and have done for a dozen years understanding this stuff. And 
it's a full-time job. It's plenty of work. And and right. so we this is not a consumer-friendly system by any stretch. And it could be improved if it were um, – if it made more sense and was less, you know, convoluted. Um, there are um, subsidies that do exist within the current system, so ways in which the government is assisting um, people with access to education. But those could be better targeted to people um, that that have uh, greater needs or that are um, – that are more likely to succeed, for example, things can be done to, you know, streamline the system. Um, And also to improve awareness of what is possible from a financial aid perspective. Um, Like, for example, there are loads of people borrowing risky and expensive private student loans who are eligible for much cheaper, much safer federal student loans, um, and they just don't have the information they need. And that would be pretty easy to solve. Uh, you know, all we need is a, a law that says that private lenders need to, you know, certify a student's uh, eligibility uh, through their school, for example, which would enable the universities to say to the students, hey, did you know you're eligible for this cheaper, safer loan? Right. Um, it, you know, and it, it would be that simple. Um, but this, that's, is, this is why they give out the advice of uh, everyone fill out the FAFSA, right? Because the FAFSA is how you fill exactly. out. That's how right. you find out and, about this aid. Yeah, and I know you've said it before, I've said it before, and we should both say it again. Everyone should fill out the FAFSA. Everyone should fill out the FAFSA. The funny thing is, though, that the environment is so poisoned that people are paranoid about the FAFSA. I mean, I'll just tell you, I did about a year and a half ago. You know, I never do commercial endorsements of any kind because, you know, we criticize a lot of corporations on our show. And, you know, I take the audience's trust in what I say very, very seriously. And I'm not going to compromise that. But about a year and a half ago, FAFSA, the, you know, that sort of part of the U.S. government came and said, hey, we want to do a PSA that just tells people, fill out the FAFSA. You know, if you fill it, it's this form, you fill it out, it tells you what loans and grants you're eligible for. It doesn't bind you to anything. You're not signing up for the loan. It's just giving you information based on you filling out this form. And we want to do that to increase access to education. I said, well, you know what? Increasing access to education, that's an issue that's important to me. That's something I've talked about on the show. This is a PSA, not an ad. I'll do it, right? And uh, and I did it. And then I had people saying we're fans of the show, wait, you are shilling for the horrible student loan industry. I've got I'm in student loans up to my ears. These people have ripped me off, and now you're telling me I should take on more loans. And uh, uh, and I had to explain, no, no, no. This is just the, this is just a form to help you find out that you might be leaving money on the table. This is, you know what I mean? Like I, I and and that's honestly one of the reasons that we did this episode about student loans uh, uh, more broadly because I was like, well, this is clearly you know an issue that is affecting people's lives, and we need to talk about it on the show. Uh, but the the very idea of the loans uh, of the FAFSA at all is uh, uh, worrisome and frightening to people because they know that this industry is just sort of like a, a sucking vortex waiting to trap them. <laughs> right, right. And and the FAFSA is, is a concrete um, symbol of the you know problems within the system and the and the FAFSA itself it it is absolutely necessary as as much as we may um, criticize it um, you have to fill it out if you're going to get um, grant money scholarship money or safer cheaper student loans than the alternative and so you know. It, in my view, you're absolutely right to promote the filling out of the FAFSA, and also we can criticize it for being, you know, overly cumbersome because mm. it is. It ought to be further simplified. It is simpler now than it was years ago. It used to be even worse, um, but it is still, you know, a pretty cumbersome process. More cumbersome than it needs to be, uh, especially for families who have low incomes, because it asks all kinds of very elaborate questions about assets and things that don't apply to most people, um, but are, you know, an effort to, you know, figure out who is has money squirreled away. Um, and so it could be improved and should be improved. And that's and that's part of the process. But 
you know, the reality is that it must be submitted in order for <laughs> um, you to get access to any kind of student aid, whether it be uh, loans or grants or scholarships. And so, um, yeah, go FAFSA and let's let's simplify it. Um, I I certainly agree with that. Yeah, th- um, this is one know. of those. This is one of those areas where we both need to sort of vociferously criticize the system for having no good options and also still try to tell people, here is your best option within the system and you must participate in it because it's the only thing worse is uh, completely opting out. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, and I do that every day with um, student loans. So people who already have student loans are in a in a tricky situation because they have to deal with these companies that are known as loan servicers, the loan servicing companies, and there there are uh, you know a handful of big ones, um, Navient, which is the one that's formerly known as Sally Bay, right. um, and there's you know Great Lakes and Fed Loan Servicing, and and they all you know we must interact with them in order to administer our loans, but the. The interests of these companies are not well aligned with consumers or borrowers. You know, I mean, they are they are hired by the lenders, uh, including the federal government, to collect the loans. Um, and so, it's a terrible system in that we have to get information from an institution who's interests are not aligned with our own. You know, the, the interest of the company is to get as much of your money as they can get as fast as they can get it to please right. their client, the lender. Um, whereas, you know, my interest is in, you know, making my payments on time, but not paying more than I have to and, you know, getting accurate information if I need to postpone payments or if I might be eligible for a forgiveness program. And that's not happening. So, you know, one of the things that I tell people um, right away is like, you're going to have to deal with your loan servicer and you should be careful because they're not your friend. Uh, and you shouldn't expect that they have, um, you know, what's right for you in mind. So when you call them, you know, put on your tough chaps before you do it. But the problem is it seems like people don't have a friend in this case. I mean, because the the government itself is, is you know, just as much uh, uh, loan sharking the students. It's true. You know, there's there's one fabulous um, agency called the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which is under tremendous um, threat at this at this moment. Mm, but their yeah. their job is is, in fact, to advocate on behalf of consumers with um, all these kinds of financial transactions, student loans, but other kinds of of banking products and the like. And it is it is vitally necessary to have that sort of of service um, because, you know, banks and big corporations have all all kinds of, of legal and business assistance to make sure that they make as much profit as possible. Um, and it's just not – it's just not realistic for us as individuals to be able to, you know, confidently navigate these complex financial instruments that are, you know, drafted in order to be obtuse. So in your own effort to advocate and educate uh, students on their best path through this system, what are your bullet points of, hey, you know, if you're listening to this and you are a high school senior and you're about to go to college and you're worried that you're not going to be able to afford it, what do you do? Well, you start by recognizing that cost matters. So when you're thinking about higher education, you need to evaluate your options and think about what you can afford. Um, I think it's unfortunate but true that um, not every person or every family can afford to attend the, you know, best school they can get into, for example. Um, And we need to choose uh, an institution that meets our needs for, you know, in various ways. It's got to have the programs you want and be in the location that you can um, attend and and also be affordable. Um, unfortunately, it can be kind of tricky to figure out what a given school is going to cost because it's not as simple as just the sticker price because, you know, the sticker price is often offset by these other things like grants, scholarships, uh, tuition waivers and discounting. Um, right. And so, you know, you you have to dig deeper 
There, there are net price calculators that people should access and review, and consider things like um, whether it makes sense to to get started in a community college environment for some of the core courses. That can be a really smart way to reduce costs over time. But when when you recognize it, to the extent you recognize that that you will have to access financial aid to pay for the, some of this stuff. You need to fill out the FAFSA, and you need to do it as as early as you can, starting in the October before you apply for colleges. Um, Yeah, it's earlier than it used to be. That's a pretty recent change um, that is actually better for people to make it earlier so that you can get these financial aid packages. And, And then... Ask a lot of questions, you know. So go into this, go into the process with the understanding that this is a complicated thing that you can figure out, but that you'll have to take the time to do the research and ask the questions that you need to ask. Um, and and families need to really contemplate, you know, what they can afford. Um, rather than borrowing uh, everything that's available, because it's very easy to borrow more than what you can easily repay. Um, and, uh, and then people need to, it's super important to borrow first from the federal student loan programs if you have to borrow, and only after you've exhausted your uh, eligibility for federal student loans should you even consider looking at a private student loan. Um, and really, if the federal loans that are available are not sufficient to pay for the cost of education, um, you want, may want to think twice about whether that is, in fact, an affordable education. Right, um, because as much as we've talked about the federal federal government not really being a uh, great partner as a lender to students and, and sort of you know following them uh, to the grave to collect uh, – uh, these uh, onerous amounts, uh, private lenders are even worse, is my understanding. Yeah, well, typically, private loans are much more expensive. So they, as, as much as we complain about federal student loan interest rates, private student loan interest rates for most people are much higher. And they have variable interest rates, which means that the cost is not certain and tends to go up over time. Um, and the they're riskier loans in that they're not flexible like the federal loans. So mm. what, the the federal government, although they they will pursue you to the grave, they will also give you um, <laughs> plenty of rope to hang yourself with. You know, they will say like, "Hey, you can't afford to pay this money this month. You don't have to pay it this month or next month or next year." So. You know, you can go 20 years and still owe a balance on your student loans like I have and and plenty of people have um, if you need to, um, which is, of course, a double-edged sword when it comes to the accrual of interest. But but private student loans are um, very, um, very tricky and they they do tend to be um, quite a lot riskier and more expensive. So some people um, hear this whole conversation, and I heard from them on Twitter, uh, and they say, well, hold on a second. If college is so expensive and it's going to ruin me financially, well, I don't even need to go to college, right? Why don't I just skip it and, you know, I'll go do what uh, my favorite tech billionaire did and uh, just go straight into the workforce and, you know, hey, it's all a scam anyway. You don't need it. What, what, What do you say to those folks? Well, the the science is clear that uh, people with um, higher education credentials of some sort, which don't always have to be four year bachelor's degrees, um, do have much lower unemployment and much higher earning um, consistently over time. And so even if you have to borrow um, to pay for education, um, chances are that it is safer to do that than not to do it. Um, now, of course, there are also um, people who who don't have that things turn out that way for them. Um, and that is and that is one of the reasons that we need improved protections and safety nets for individuals. Um, but it is it is not the the right sort of life strategy to look at the um, one example of you know a couple of tech billionaires who had these extraordinary ideas and were at the right place at the right time and had the you know 
giant brains to, that, you know, like we can't all do that. You know, I mean, that's like saying, you know, I, I, I really do want to be an NBA star, but I'm pretty sure as a five foot two, you know, 47 year old woman that that's not going to happen for me. You know, I right. mean, like that's just not a realistic career plan for me. And I think that it's, um, you know, that, that not everybody does need to go to college. I mean, I'm not, you know, but, but everybody needs to have a, um, a skill, you know, and have a plan. Um, and that can be a trade. Um, and I think that, you know, most people who who don't have more than a high school diploma or who don't even have a high school diploma end up in low paying um you know dead end kinds of jobs uh and th- and that's what the um evidence tells us so uh let's shift from uh the sort of individual advice for the individual person to you know, let's talk about this system, because I appreciate your point about we have to start from the system that we have and improve it. I am totally on board with that kind of thinking uh, when we talk about how are we going to improve our society. But it's just as valuable to think big picture, you know, blue sky. Let's imagine the sort of system that we might have or that other you know nations have. If you could you know, totally start from scratch the way we finance this kind of education, secondary education, uh, how would you do it? Well, I would start by making uh, very low cost options available to everyone so that if if you want to get a college education, you you can. Um, now, the way that would look would not necessarily be, an, you know, an Ivy covered campus, but it would be, you know, an alternative. And we do have, like, the community college models that we could look toward for, right. for a way of, you know, starting that kind of system. Um, so I think we, we have to have more variety of choice and more access to very low-cost options for everyone. Um, we can still have, you know, other choices available for those who can afford it or for those who can um, find the financing for it. Um, but I think that's a starting place. Um, I also think that when it comes to financial aid separate from, you know, the cost of education that we could do a lot to um, to improve things like federal tax benefits for higher education. So to the extent that people are able to pay, that they can have some, um, you know, reasonable in incentives and programs that make that more possible. Um, and as it is now, it's a whole sort of complicated um, web of things that are just not really very well targeted and that right. provide, you know, better assistance to people with more money and, and you know, less good assistance to people with less money. So, um, you know, that's no good. Uh I think we also need to, you know, improve the tools that are available for for consumers to make good decisions. Um, so, you know, if you may simplify the system and then also make good, uh, solid, you know, actionable information available for people, and I think you know that would go a long way towards uh, you know getting us where we need to be. Well, I think I I agree with you. I I just want to question the idea at all that, uh, you know, again, in secondary education, that we want the student to pay for it, you know, Um, because in primary education, again, it's paid for via taxes. If I don't have kids, I'm paying for your kids to be educated. Right. Um, And, you know, with the promise for that that anyway, Adam, (laughs) no problem. I'll I'll do my bit. Uh, you know that's that's the that is the system that we have chosen for primary education. Mm-hmm. Um, for secondary education, we have chosen the system where the student primarily pays for it. Right in, in state schools, it's paid for by tax dollars a lot, but you're you know you're still paying you know uh, uh, four figures a year for state schools at least. You know, and mm-hmm. then it it only goes up from there. Right. Um, so uh, I, I mean, is there a case to be made if? We agree that secondary education is, is, a necessity, is a necessity in today's economy and that we're better off the more people have access to it and that we're all invested in lowering the cost of it. Is there a case to be made uh, for, uh, you know, taxpayer-funded secondary education? Or do you feel that it is uh, of value to have students putting their own money down in order to get that education? 
I actually think that, you know, I do think higher education should be a right. I'd love to see free access to higher education for everyone. I think that would be uh, a better system that w- that would benefit us all. Uh, I think that it would help to uh, grow the economy in ways that are that are presently, you know, not not possible uh, in the current system. And so, yes, I think that we should have access to public education at both the primary and secondary level. Um, I'm also not opposed to um, getting some contribution from people who are able to leverage that education into financial success. So, you know, it could be that there is, um, you know, free tuition, but you pay some portion of your uh, future earnings, um, ah. you know, if if things work out for you well. Yeah, if you like a, that idea? It's a bit of a, it, it less of a loan and more instead it's a portion of the future earnings that you were able to make because you got this education on the taxpayer dime. It's you, you don't uh, uh, sign up for the payback at the beginning. You just pay back a portion of, of the actual result that you get. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. And that would, you know, that also creates the sort of incentives that we want schools to have so that that there will be some, you know, measurement of the, uh, you know, completion rates of people in school as well as their, um, you know, success, uh, broader success in the market. And then that also gives us, um, you know, the the opportunity to have people that don't make a lot of money doing other things that are important, like the public service we talked about at the beginning. Right. Um, and, you know, this protects people that maybe, you know, don't make money for some reason if they become ill or unemployed or the like. So I think that that that, you know, if we supported higher education to the point where we could all access it for free, um, I think that would improve um, things tremendously. And I'd love to see it. Um I am a realist, though, and I just can't, you know, I can't see America moving in that direction anytime soon. You know, I no, just I, I, I mean, I think know, it is worth talking about. I really do. But yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I sort of would compare it to, you know, hey, at least we're, you know, we discuss the existence of single payer healthcare systems in other countries. Yes. You know, this, this would seem to be analogous. Let's at least, you know, have a discussion about other ways to finance this. I mean, you, you know, there's always the chance, you know, there's always then under that sort of spec- system, the specter of someone who goes and gets the education and says, oh, well, I don't got to pay anything for this. Why don't I just go on a 10-year tour of Europe before I come back and start working? Right. Uh, you, you know, that person isn't, uh, you know, you're, you're not receiving the revenue back from that person because that person's a freeloader. It has its own attendant uh, problems. It's just, you know, uh, so much of comedy is is questioning, hey, why is the world like this? Imagine, what if we did it this way? Wouldn't that be nice? And, you know, I uh, uh, yeah. I have the same urge with this system because the one of, of all of the... Uh, we talk about a lot of broken uh, social systems in America on our show. This is one of the most fucked up out of all of them, I have to say. Yeah, it is. It really is very fucked up. And it's just, you know, the thing that I always come back to, though, is like I just get so furious about the prospect of higher education being only for the rich. You know, to me, yes. that seems like a system that is just all part of this, you know, evil conspiracy to make sure that the haves continue to have and that the nots you know, can't even chip away at that. You know, and it's I mean, it's un-American. It's, it's un-American. totally un-American. Yeah. But yeah, because if you're if you're bright enough and dedicated enough, uh, and you work hard enough, you ought to be able to to be whoever you want to be. You know, that's and our I, national story. Yeah, it is. You know, and and I should be able to graduate from Duke Law School, and you know, there's no reason that I can't. You know, it, just because I was born into uh, a family that didn't have a lot of money is no reason why I shouldn't be able to access as much damn education as I can handle, you know? (laughs) (laughs) 
Exactly. And, and we want to, you know, our society is one that prides itself on, you know, being a meritocracy as much as we can be, where the, the folks who work the hardest and, uh, you know, are, no matter where you start from, you can end anywhere that you want. Uh, the difference seems to be that in, you know, the way we have it currently set up, if you don't start from money and you work really hard, you are going to be saddled with this an incredible debt that is unlike any other debt we have in the entire country that could, you know, degrade your ability to find that future for the rest of your life. It's, it's yeah. really shocking. It is. It it is. And but, you know, with our focus right now on our current reality, you know, the alternative is worse, you know, that 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 I and others wouldn't be able to get this unmanageable debt burden and that we would instead have no education at all. Right. Um, you know, which would, you know, mean that we were just broke and not, you know, contributing. I mean, it's it, it's a tricky problem. I think, you know, I do think we're going to make some progress with it. And, and I I feel like maybe it's this whole competitive edge thing, you know, that like Americans and even those who may be very conservative fiscally, um, you know, we don't want to fall behind. And with this higher education, we need it in order to in order to be strong and to be innovative and to create, you know, products that people want to buy around the world, you know. So it is can be a very pro-business kind of attitude. Businesses want educated people. Well, one of the things we talk about in a different episode that came out this year about the economy is about how one of the reasons that, you know, so much manufacturing of certain types of goods moved to China was because of the incredible training programs the government had there that just wholesale trained people for certain types of labor. And they simply now have an advantage over us in terms of the number of trained uh, working age adults, you know, that uh, that we we simply don't have them. And it's, you know, those companies mm-hmm. are going to go to where all those tool and die makers are, or where all of those electrical engineers are, all those, uh, you know, computer programmers are. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, we are, you know, sort of shooting ourselves in the foot by not uh, giving our citizens, uh, by not training our citizens to do those jobs. Yeah, yeah. And there's and it, you know, are plenty of our citizens who would be delighted to have an opportunity to learn these skills and and work um using those those skills. Um they just can't access it right now because it's not available. And it's not because they're lazy or stupid. Well, uh let me ask. I often uh, uh, end the show with uh, a variation on this question, and I don't always get the answer I'm hoping for, uh, but I'll put it to you. Uh, do you have hope for our uh, student loan or, or college financing system uh, to be, you know, that it's moving in the right direction, uh, or do you feel that it's in danger of slipping backwards? Where do you fall on that optimism-pessimism scale? I am supremely optimistic, Adam. And the reason I am is because people are aware of this issue like never before. And people are talking about it. And there are so many Americans with student loans now that we as a group will have some power to have our voices heard. And so that is that is the necessary precursor to change. And so I believe that people are ready to fight and to demand uh, improvements. And I know that that is the first step towards getting uh, where we need to be. Right. It, it almost feels as though the we're reaching critical mass for this to become a social movement of people with student debt, students saying this is uh, th- this is not sustainable anymore and something must be done. I think that's right. Yes, exactly. And it's and I have seen this change because I've been been very concerned about this issue since before it was so mainstream. Um, you know, when I first started caring about this, it was really only uh, meaningful to, uh, you know, people, first generation college students who had, you know, more difficulty paying or uh, people with, you know, graduate or professional degrees that had more expensive educations or people in public service that had lower paying jobs. But now 
now it's absolutely everyone. You know, I mean, there isn't a, I don't go anywhere where people aren't like, oh, are you the one that knows about student loans? I have a question, you know, about my own situations because it is pervasive and everyone is affected by it. And, um, you know, we are in a position to lead. So what, what we need to do now is continue to pay attention. Um, particularly in this uh, bizarre political environment that we live in, um, and make sure that we don't take those steps back. Because I think you know you, you're you're right to to wonder if there is some uh, cause for pessimism. Because you know you, it not everyone um, is uh, dedicated to uh, helping others as uh, as I would wish them for them to be. So you know I think that that. Um, but we're we're ready. We're we've got a critical mass, and um, we're you know we're not going to take this shit anymore. <laughs> I love it. Well, I hope everyone listening goes out in the streets, run out in the streets right now, make a sign, and start marching. Uh, or at least when the march comes by, please join in. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Heather. I, I really appreciate your your blunt, no nonsense, take no shit attitude on this topic, and and your wise words. Thanks, Adam. You're the best. Take care. Well, thank you once again to Heather Jarvis for coming on the show. And that is it for Adam Ruins Everything, the podcast. We will be back in two weeks, so please tune in then. Our producer is Shara Morris. And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend about the podcast and subscribe to us on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, whatever app it may be. I don't care what. Look, if you got a Windows mobile phone, you still got one of those? Subscribe to the podcast. There's got to be an app on it that'll let you subscribe to us. Do it on that app. I'm not going to micromanage what app you use. Whatever your favorite app is, that's the one I suggest. And don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe. The Google Play Store, I'll take a comment. I don't read that that storefront. I don't use that storefront. I'm an iPhone guy. But I'll take a comment or a positive rating on that because it helps more people know about the show and find out about what they can do about their student loans just like on this one. So thank you guys if you can drop us a five star wherever you'd like to do it. And again, you can find clips and full episodes of Adam Ruins Everything, the TV show at truetv.com slash Adam Ruins Everything and the Watch True TV app. Until then, we'll see you next time. Thank you guys so much for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.